Today's episode includes discussions about sexual assault and child sexual abuse. Please practice self-care and proceed with caution. This is Sana Sana Podcast, a feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health with Adriana and Adriana. Welcome to another episode of Sana Sana. So I'm Adriana. I'm Adriana. Every time we do sit down, I look forward to it because I feel like I have so much of this weight from what happens in the world. And when I can be in a space like Sana Sana, right, when we record Mm -hmm. this, we're creating a space for ourselves and for our listeners to be able to lift the load off of us. Absolutely, like a judgment-free zone where we can really, or attempt to deconstruct what's bothering us and, yeah, hopefully heal and find that support. As much as a lot of the topics that we're talking about today are personal and heavy, I always look forward to being able to be authentic and tell the truth. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Awesome. So we are heading into Tokaya time, and that is... You know, where Adriana and I just catch up because we don't see each other sometimes for days at a time. And that feels like a really long time. <laughs> Even though I, we did see each other mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, but... It was you know. really in passing. Yes, it was. We were both in work mode. Very much so, yes. So tell me about how have you been? How's your week been? How's your weekend been? So my week has been great. I uh, was not as productive as I had hoped, but I think that's okay. I feel like sometimes I measure how good of a week I had based on productivity, and I'm trying to do less of that. I really don't like to measure my worth in output. (laughs) I'm trying to become less and less capitalistic. But I mean, get that money for sure, but also that's that's not what you are all about, right? No, your work is not your worth. Definitely. And I think even the work I'm really proud of that comes from my heart, I think it's so important to be realistic about that we're not machines, right? We're humans. And that sometimes, especially when it's work that isn't our creative endeavor, we really need to build in that rest period, that time just to reflect the time to sit with whatever we're creating so that we can marinate in all those ideas and figure enjoy out. Enjoy it. Enjoy it and figure out, like, how we're going to make it better or deeper, right? So, like, I am trying really hard to think about how do I build in, how am I realistic about what I'm capable of doing in a week, but also um, how am I building in intentional time to rest and sit on my laurels every once in a while, right? So... Um, Outside of that, I've had a really great week. I was off for a few days from my regular gig, like my regular nine to five stuff, but I was doing work related to my community work. I volunteer for a few organizations, and this week was really busy for all of the organizations involved because, as you mentioned, the last time we sat down, it's uh, the fall is always like a really busy time for nonprofits. It's what we call oh, yeah. the fall appeal time where we're asking people to donate and give of their time and money and resources to, to support these organizations that we are really in love with, really. So I had some responsibilities related to that. 
But I also got some time to read this week. I What are you reading? Tell us. I am currently reading Roxanne Gay's Hunger. I okay. just started that. I'm finishing Zadie Smith's Swing Time I'm because too. that's part of our uh, we we have a reading club, Adriana and I and some other friends. Um, and that was this month's book. And then I'm also reading a few other books. My therapist actually suggested I read. One of them is called My Mother, Myself. You told me about which that. Which I've talked to you about. On um, my list. That's sure. going to probably be a whole nother episode because there's so much amazing, like, gems from that book. Oh, we totally need to do a mommy issue episode. Yeah, right? that'd be oh great. So those are just a few that I'm reading. That was only possible because I took time off from TV this week. <laughs> I made sure that like I fasted from TV and how did you feel? Did it work? Are you craving watching TV? Well, some of it is you have to understand as a person in recovery, I realize I have a lot of addictive behaviors <laughs> that manifest in other ways, mm-hmm. right? So I am even when I drank, I was a binger. So I wasn't necessarily drinking every day, but when I did, Mm -hmm. I binged. So it's the same with, like, other things, right? And after, like, if I watch, if I get into a show, I just want to watch it. Like, I binge watch. You know, a lot of people do. Um, But but for me. Netflix, I feel like that was the end for a lot of us. Right. So I have to really take time to make sure I'm not, like, um, perpetuating those behaviors. Um, so I, I took a break this week because I wanted to really make sure I sat still and read. So, um, it felt really good, honestly. I didn't really miss it. I allowed myself to watch TV Friday and a little bit of Saturday. But, All right, so you did. But I, Monday through Thursday, I was completely TV free. And good. I feel like that's such a great balance. I kind of want to keep it up, like have days where I don't allow myself TV because then it, Makes me pick up my book. And That's true. Fill the time with that, or just you know meditate, relax. Very nice. So yeah, that was my week. How about you? My upcoming week and this past week are super busy. So I'm trying to be present in each day, and I think that it's really hard for me to do that because I focus on what I'm trying to do. Like I'm, you know, getting all my stuff done, and like you're saying, productivity. Mm-hmm. But that's not all that it's important, right? So I'm really glad that you brought that up. But so this past Thursday, I had a huge event at work. Glad it's over, but it was awesome. So it was a a fundraiser for the organization that I work for, which does a lot of work in domestic violence and sexual assault, specifically in the Latino community. So it was amazing to see a lot of people up to like 450 community members come together to support this cause. And it really is, you know, close to both of our hearts. So that was really amazing. But after that, I literally just like, like dropped dead almost. (laughs) And it's so interesting that you say that building in time to rest, because this was just very reactionary. Like I didn't plan on it. It just happened. Like I could not even get out of bed or do anything Mm -hmm. because it had been such an intense kind of month that I just like stayed in bed. You collapsed. Yeah, literally collapsed. So I definitely got some rest this weekend. I had a nap for the first time in forever, which felt really good. 
I've just been sleeping, work from home one day. So just trying to really catch up on Mm -hmm. my rest and trying to really refocus on my wellness, my Mm -hmm. mental health, just trying to feel better and more centered. And like Mm -hmm. I said, being a little bit more present with what's going on. When we think about mental health, I think it definitely includes mental illness. But I think we've both talked about, for us, the word is bigger than that, right? Right. It's not just limited to mental illness. Like, that is a big part of it. And I think that a lot of people kind of confuse them or use them interchangeably. I know that the way that we use it is in a holistic way, right? So, Tokaya, how do you describe mental health? Sure. So, for me, mental health is really thinking about health that has to do with your mind, body, and soul. Because our mind controls all of the above, reaching the state of positive mental health really takes all of your body, all of your soul, your emotional, and your mental well-being. It has to all come into alignment. One thing that I think of is prevention. I think about like recovery as a part of mental health, right? I think about how wellness is a part of mental health. What about you? I'm just kind of riffing here and talking out loud. I think that everything that you're saying makes sense. And I think that the more holistic, the better for me, right? Mm -hmm. All of these components that make us a human, right? They have to be, like you said, in balance and they all affect how we live, interact, and how we cope with our day-to-day. And I think we've had guests that talk about their spiritual well-being. Absolutely. I and think that I, that's huge. I really want to talk about what spirituality means as we move through the series because that means something different to everyone. Mm-hmm. I think it's good that we talk about what it means to us just so that everybody's on the same page. And I would love to know what our listeners Um, perceive as mental health. I Mm -hmm. would love for you all to tell us what mental health means to you. Mm -hmm. um, And that way we can kind of share that with our other listeners and really continue to explore this topic in the podcast. Yeah. So if, if you're listening, answer the question, what does mental health mean to you? Tweet us at Sana Sana Podcast. Uh, Or you can answer the question on Facebook as well. We have a new Facebook page. Yay! You can find us at Sana Sana Podcast. Yeah, at Sana Sana Podcast. (laughs) It's so new, we kind of just stared at each other like, is that right? (laughs) That's Um, right, that's right. It's at Sana Sana Podcast. Awesome. And the other thing I wanted to make sure that we brought up while we're talking about frameworks of our podcast, we've talked about this in the first podcast, uh, First Things First, but... You know, we're going to be repetitive because sometimes we have to talk about it more than once and, and in different ways, right? Right. And maybe you won't listen to the first episode, but we'll listen to this one for whatever reason. And we want you to know the following. Adriana and I, when we were talking about what do we want this podcast to be about and who is it for and what does it mean? She and I both happen to be Latinas. Hey. But we are also both doing our own work around bridge building between black, brown, and other communities of color within Chicago and beyond. Mm -hmm. Because of that, we are really wanting to make sure that we communicate how important it is to find our shared histories with other communities of color. And to center those. And to center those, yes. And also to really find the common threads in our healing. So, again, when we talk about inviting guests, having people come on to share resources with us in our different segments, please, if you are not Latinx, 
feel free to still um, send us an email. We would love to be able to feature you on our podcast. Yeah, we are exclusively inclusive. Yeah. Of everyone. But we are centered in the way that we see the world, which is through the lens that is our lives. Now we're going to be moving into Sana Sana Glossary. Adriana and I were at the Bridgeport Coffee House earlier, and we were asking a few people about one of the glossary terms we're going to be breaking down. And we decided to ask a few folks what they thought consent means. Consentimiento es que lo haces con, como de corazón, ¿no? Algo así, yo diría así, consentimiento, que lo estás haciendo así como de buena fe, como el permiso. Cuando tú le das permiso a alguien. A shared agreement. Consent, to me, generally means a capturing of a boundary and an ability to share that level of boundary and having a place to meet within that boundary. So consent is like, I know what my boundary is and I'm going to ask or request that my boundary be upheld so that we can either move forward in a direction together or not move forward together. Consent to me means two people who are in agreement of something that they both agreed on. It also means it has a good feeling to it. So you're agreeing to something and it doesn't have any bad feelings. Like not, not consenting to something to me means it has a negative connotation. So this is more of like, okay, we're both in agreement and yeah. Consent mean like whatever you feel okay with, you're comfortable with. Okay, so I was actually really impressed with... I was very impressed, too. I was a little cynical at <laughs> the beginning of this whole situation. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I was really impressed with um, seeing that a lot of people have a good idea of what consent means. So it was interesting to me that some people didn't necessarily um, assume that it was sexual consent. Yeah. That when they did describe consent, it completely related to what sexual consent should be, right? Right. Um, so I was really happy to hear that. Well, and the, for me, I think it's good to think about consent beyond just sexual terms. Mm -hmm. Because I think about how sometimes even... Okay, I'll give you an example. Even when I asked one of the people, like, hey, can we ask you a question that we, we would like to record you? And she said, I really don't want to. For one split second, I thought about convincing her. That you did not have consent yeah right I know I was like she doesn't want to so I'm gonna respect her no yeah and I moved on <laughs> that's true so this idea of consent really if we practice it beyond just sexual boundaries mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. it, it really can help us really understand what the word means that's such a good point so what that's does the word mean point. to you so Consent means an agreement between two or more parties, basically. And sexual consent, at its most basic, is just, like I said, like an agreement between two or more parties that are participating in any sexual activity. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's really important to note that just because you consent once, that doesn't mean that you've consented forever for this person, right? You can change your mind at any time and stop at any moment, right, if you don't feel comfortable. Um, consent is a two-way street, so both people should give consent. And I think it establishes, like you're saying, is like very healthy boundaries, right? And it improves communication with your partner or with anyone, really. So I really like what you just brought in with extending consent beyond 
sexual activity. Mm -hmm. I really, really, really am, like, enlightened by that. There's always a power dynamic at play um, in a lot of interactions with someone. Absolutely. Right? So um, we've talked a little bit about it when we've talked about intersectionality in the last episode. Some A lot of that almost always comes into play when you have sexual activity with another person. Even... Even when it's interactions between same sex, mm-hmm. there's often right yeah, power dynamics at play. But beyond that, I have been fortunate enough to have gone through a 42-hour training uh, for volunteers that go through uh, medical advocacy, which just basically means um, you're trained to go to a hospital and to be an advocate for someone that's been sexually assaulted. And from the manual, they basically define it as that only yes means yes, only they can consent, clothes can't consent, alcohol can't consent, a date isn't consent, silence isn't consent, maybe isn't consent, and we must understand that only yes is consent. And that is very much like how I define consent. You know, I think for a long time, a lot of us grew up with the idea that only no meant no was consent. But I really love this new movement of changing that from yes means yes consent. It has to be affirmative and enthusiastic yes. The no means no doesn't really give you a complete picture of consent because it puts the responsibility on one person to mm-hmm. like resist or reject or accept an activity mm-hmm. rather than what I was mentioning before kind of like open communication between two people right um about what they're gonna do so i agree with what you're saying like if some if if that's the case then you shouldn't like then maybe you shouldn't be like in the same space as this person right yeah well i think too a lot of the time when someone doesn't speak up or doesn't say, like, I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to keep going, and, you know, that instead they just clam up or don't say anything or they feel pressured to just go with it, I think there's so much at play there that needs to be understood. And so that's why it's to play it safe and to make sure that your partner is happy with what's happening, it's good to do a temperature check, right? Mm-hmm. And to just ask. Um, you know, I think the first time I heard yes means yes, I felt really, I even felt a little uncomfortable because I know I've been in situations where there's no talking Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like body language that could be interpreted as like, Hey, this is an enthusiastic yes. And so I, I don't think that the yes means yes is trying to rob you of fun or, you know, trying to rob you of the moment. But I think it's still important to have conversations with your partner about what feels good, what is comfortable. And there's all kinds of ways to make sure that you're getting a yes, right? That's the thing. And I mean, maybe this is just me, but if it's me and I'm in a situation where I don't feel comfortable asking this or where I don't want to hear a yes, then there's something wrong there, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like I... I should be always asking and, and hopeful, you know, hopefully there is a yes. And if there's not, then, you know, you stop. So to me, this is pretty straightforward. It is straightforward. And I think that it's going to require for, if this is the first time you're hearing this, or it might not be, it makes me even think about like, gosh, do I ask for a yes every single time? It's something that I know I've been so ingrained in other ways 
the or even am, am I verbalizing yes this is what I want every single time right mm-hmm. for people who are trying to make the world a better place especially around this idea of consent it's a constant process of unlearning and so that's where I know I'm at and these are really uncomfortable conversations sometimes that we have to have with ourselves and with other people but I think because we've we've grown up in such a problematic society because of rape culture, which is our next glossary term, um, I think it's really important that we talk about consent and why it's so important that it's um, from an affirmative standpoint. I agree. And I think that also my, just the context is that it's not a excuse. It's not an excuse, but I've been with my same partner for like five years. So when that happens, like things are a little bit different and easier, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that consent isn't ne- is it necessary right because right. we always talk about um you know an example would be marital rape right like mm-hmm. just because you're married or with someone doesn't mean that they owe you anything sex or anything sexual um and i i really love what you're saying about unlearning behaviors or notions um because it, it's a perfect segue to our next glossary word right rape culture and i think that we need to continuously unlearn rape culture because it's so pervasive that we all are a little bit complicit like we can't say it's the same thing about kind of like sexism and racism like we're all complicit in that Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who you are right Mm -hmm. and I think that consent really connects with what rape culture is right Um, so that's our next word mm -hmm. and what does it mean to you So to me, rape culture is a concept or just a way to describe a society or environment in which rape is so prevalent um, and in which um, violence against women is completely normalized, right? Mm -hmm. It's excused by popular culture, the media, misogynist messages that we hear, rape jokes, um, so on and so forth. And uh, specifically, I think that rape culture... um, is victim blaming, right? Rape culture blames the victim of sexual assault and pardons or excuses the perpetrator, right? And we've seen that so many times, yeah. right? Donald Trump, Harvey Weinstein, so like so many, I, I even forget because it's happened so many times that people come forward to denounce rape or sexual assault and often the media or just, you know, people at large don't believe the survivor. That's rape culture. Yeah, that's that's a perfect thing. The only thing I would even add is that rape is not exclusive to women. Anyone can be a victim of rape. We do see that this tends to happen more to women and femmes, right? So Absolutely. Um, particularly women of color, particularly transgender women, particularly Native American women. Yeah, they're more vulnerable to being um, victimized because, mm-hmm. because... Because they're seen as less human, is what I'm going to say. Yeah. You know, they're already dehumanized in so many ways, and to rape them is not a big deal in the eyes of the perpetrator or in the eyes of rape culture. Right, and again, we can go off into another tangent, but I think it's really important to think about how in a lot of communities of color, colonialism has been the root of so many of these systemic problems, and rape was used as a way to control 
a weapon of colonialism. A absolutely. weapon of colonialism. A absolutely. weapon of genocide. Um, you know, a weapon of erasure of someone's culture. Like, this is where a lot of our trauma begins uh, for a lot of communities of color, Latina communities, Latinx communities, um, and um, our black communities. So I think that you're completely right that we could probably go into another episode, and I hope we do because yeah, it's we really, always, really interesting. Yeah. But um, those are our two glossary words. And as always, let us know what you think and what these words mean to you and how you can explain them to your abuelita. Okay, so this is a perfect segue for our Chillona Corner. And what is it that we are chillando about this week? Why don't you kick it off? Well, it's been a really heavy few weeks around just as we were discussing absence of consent and rape culture. For people who do advocacy work around sexual assault and sexual um, violence, uh, we are exposed to stories like this all the time. Um, but it would be re- we'd be remiss if we didn't address what is happening right now in mainstream, and that is the horror that is Weinstein. Uh, I can't even say his first name. What's his first name? Harvey? Harvey Weinstein. I call him Harvey Barfstein because he makes me want to barf. (laughs) I haven't heard that yet. So for those of you who may not have uh, heard the story yet, uh, a lot of different celebrities have come forward with their stories of rape, sexual assault, and sexual harassment by this man, Harvey Weinstein, who is basically a media mogul, right? He's a producer, director, or what does he do? He has his a production company, if I'm not right. mistaken. So he's a very, very powerful very white man. Powerful. White, wealthy, that has used his power uh, in the most horrific of ways. And so a lot of women have come forward with their stories, and that has sparked basically a movement. Women from across the country, across the world, are sharing their stories with the hashtag MeToo, which was originally created by a woman named Tarana Burke, a black feminist activist. She created it for similar reasons, but not related to Weinstein at all. And so it picked up steam again because... Alyssa Milano? Alyssa Milano. She used the hashtag asking other women and femmes to share their experiences. And personal feelings aside about the movement, it really has sparked into this overwhelming response of people who have come forward with their stories as well. Well, I definitely do want to hear about your personal feelings about about the movement. About the Me Too movement? Do we have time? Well, I guess we do. (laughs) We'll make time. Because I have feelings about it, too. I've been through periods in my life where I was harassed on a daily basis, like just walking Mm -hmm. down the street. So I've survived sexual harassment. I've also gone through uh, sexual assault and rape uh, in a lot of different ways with mostly people that I've known. Actually, only with people that I've known. So um, as someone who's personally gone through it in all of these different ways, right, I... It was really hard for me to participate. I was also a little wary and kind of exhausted and um, angry. I was really angry that I'm like, why does it take millions of women to tell their stories for us to get it? And let me add the fact that the people who are telling their stories are also white 
powerful, rich, famous women. Right? Oh, you mean from the Weinstein? Right, yes. right. From the Weinstein cases, right? And I think that we never see this type of media coverage for just regular people, right? That are as worthy, that are having the same situations happening at work with sexual harassment or uh, an assault in the workplace. Like, I think that that's, and obviously I understand why, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like, that's where I was the most mad yeah. about. Like, that's where my anger was coming from. Um, but I understand why, but it's still, like, really infuriating to me. Yeah, I, one of my Twitter heroes, I have many, um, uh, Mickey Kendall, she is the creator of a hashtag called Solidarity is for White Women, and it came out a few years mm-hmm. ago. Click on that hashtag, you'll learn so much from it, but it really applies to cases like this, right? Um, that it took powerful, rich women, beautiful, you know, um, and I add that with quotes because it's really about how we perceive beauty in this case, but that fortunately and unfortunately, right, like Mm -hmm. they helped push the needle forward. The first thing that comes to my mind is like all of the young girls that have been assaulted and raped by R. Kelly and how, how many, it's been a number and he still has not been, you know, he's, he went to trial and and was found not guilty mm-hmm. and he continues to harm these girls um there's been some amazing coverage by Jim Dagaratis from the Sun Times I've been doing it for, for decades. years for decades and he has talked about how the reason he walks free is because no one cares about black girls and ding 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 heartbreaking infuriating right so I think it's really important that when we talk about the fact that rape is coming into the mainstream and that people are starting to believe women, it's happening because white women have spoken up. They've leveraged their power. They've leveraged their privilege to help us have this conversation as a mainstream society, right? Even though these conversations have been happening. So I'm really conflicted yeah, about this campaign because I think as someone who believes in the power of stories i think it's really important that the people who can tell their story do that but as someone who is first and foremost an advocate for survivors i don't think that it's everyone's responsibility to tell their story and i think that you're so right on this why i was so conflicted is because the whole me too campaign once again puts the onus on women on the survivor on the victim right where are like i would love to see a me too of everyone who now all the men or whoever it is have realized that they have been perpetrators i would love for them to put that all over social media so you know there can be a little bit more of a conscious raising for everyone i just i I just think that 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 was another point that i was like really Mm -hmm. annoyed with but i i understand because i believe in the I believe that we should be able to tell our own stories as well. So I'm not going to say that I'm against it. But once again, we see that it's on women. It's on the survivors. Yeah, I didn't post a story because at this point in time, I just was completely fine with taking care of myself first. I think, actually, we're, we're going to be talking about this in the resource corner, but Locatora Radio also did a great uh, segment about this, so I encourage you, if you're not already a listener, to listen to their, their most recent episode around this. But, yes, like, if you are a 
survivor, take care of yourself and do not feel pressured to tell a story just because someone is asking you. Do it because it helps you heal and it, it empowers you. Um, I think your story is your own and you can choose to tell it however you want or not tell it. And I also love, Adriana, that you're talking about the onus being on rapists, right? I have a good friend that actually did share his story um, around growing up in toxic masculinity and um, the times that he has raped and the healing that he's trying to do and uh, for himself and not doing that anymore. And I think it was really hard to see it, right? It's also triggering to see Absolutely. people who have raped to talk about it, even if it's coming from this good place. Um, but I was really proud of him because I know that takes a lot of guts. Well, the thing is, is that it's hard for everyone to have this conversation. It's hard for survivors to have these conversations. It's hard for us to talk about the many times that we've been harassed and dehumanized. So I think that men who have you know, been socialized and conditioned to live in rape culture and to become the perpetrators can have a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Can heal and can work to have a better and fair world for everyone where no one is a victim when you don't have to victimize anyone. Well, and then just uh, as we are trying to take a, a deep breath and practice self-care, we get another bombshell with Kevin Spacey. The disclosure of what happened with Kevin Spacey and Anthony Rapp came out because of the Me Too movement. So Anthony Rapp is a child star who is a current working actor on Broadway. Um, he came out with a story, which again goes perfectly when we talked about how rape victims or people who uh, survive uh, assault or harassment don't have to be women and femmes. He told a story about... A situation that happened with Kevin Spacey. About, when he was 13. He was 14. Th 14, yeah. 14 okay. years old. Kevin Spacey was 26. And tragically, Kevin Spacey apologized. And came out. At the same time. So he made it about himself. And I was really mad for so many reasons. But I think I was especially mad because... It was almost like he was conflating his sexuality with with the child abuse of... Yeah, exactly. The abuse of a child. As a queer person, I was really insulted because I felt that what he was doing was connecting his queerness or his sexuality with molestation, right? And we hear this all the time in conversations, right? That if you're gay if, or, if, you're, or if you're molested or if you are molested, you will become gay and you're... Like, it's... There's so many myths around this that for him to come out with that statement was so irresponsible. And self-hating, right? And, and I think it's especially important that even though these are two white men that are telling their stories, right, uh, that we talk about how important it is to demystify and debunk that myth because in our communities, we have so much work to do around sexuality and acceptance that... It is really important that we talk about how it absolutely is not... We can't conflate the two things. And we have a lot of issues with child abuse Period. in our communities. Like, it's rampant. Period. Yeah. And a lot of it is because, again, we don't have these conversations. These issues stay behind closed doors. So I, know, I can't imagine how incredibly hard it must have been for Anthony Rapp to come out with his story. But 
you know, I feel nothing but gratitude for him coming forward and, and, and sharing what happened to him. Absolutely. But yeah, you suck, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah, I'm disgusted with the way he responded. I really hope that he listens to the feedback that he he is getting currently on social media. There is a backlash. And, and I, as disgusted as I was with his response, I was also heartened by how many people came correct with the right information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as unfortunate as some of these incidents are sometimes, the silver lining is that we do have conversations around around these really hard issues. And hopefully all of this coming to light is encouraging all of us to have conversations. They're so critical and to everyone's healing, to community healing. Right. If you're listening to this, that I hope that you can take away is how to be a better listener to someone who is a survivor. Because of rape culture, it's so ingrained in us that we ask questions sometimes that are not our place to ask um, when someone is sharing their story. Can you give us some examples of that? I want to first just say that sometimes when we talk about these things, especially when we're in the process of unlearning, is that it can often cause anxiety in in people who are committed to growing, right? So first, let me just extend some compassion from someone who is also doing the work, right? To unlearn all this problematic caca that we have all been fed for our entire lives and for generations. So hold each other closely and be kind and gentle and patient with yourself. If you're doing the work and you're being committed to growth, like we're with you on this. And committed to unlearning and learning. Right. So I just wanted to start with that. But because sometimes our first instinct is to think um, or have thoughts that are really shitty, <laughs> right? Because we are so ingrained with, again, rape culture, with white supremacy, with uh, misogyny. A lot of the time, our first thought is not the right thought that we should be having or the compassionate thought. Sometimes when we hear someone tell us, I've been raped or I had this happen to me, Our first inclination is to ask questions like, why did you invite him over? Why did you make out with him? Why did you drink? Why did you get so drunk? Why why did you pass out? Why were you wearing that? All of these questions that shouldn't be asked. Our first and only job really is to listen to that person and ask them, are you okay? I believe you. These are things that, you know, you can work on saying because someone sharing their story is an incredibly hard and difficult thing for them to do. And the only thing we should be doing is believing them. Absolutely. And I think that it's super important to remember to follow the survivor's agenda, whatever that may be, and that they have the option of changing that if they want so like you, I, I feel like you just said it perfectly. You just have to listen and be supportive and understand that I obviously it's a tough position to be in, mm-hmm. but it's not about you. Right. So we, we open this up because we are going to be heading into a segment with 
Marisol Vélez, who is known in Chicago and beyond as Pinky Ring. She is our special guest for our Corazón a Corazón segment. And because we're talking about the power of stories, we wanted to start the segment with a, a song that she came out with called Her Story. And we just want to play just a little part of the song um, just to give you a taste of what's to come. Tell your mama, vision's up This is the only way he'd wanna I don't wanna go to church Cause he gonna make it worse Devil stand in my face With his hand up my shirt Understand I'm the worst Cause these fuckers been fucking me over Since I was a little girl I'm talking shit that would Literally make you hurl Little did he know that really I would rap and rule the world I can't cry So I let the song sing Puerto Rican princess to pop for the Palm Springs Music is the only thing that calms me So if you got beef, holla at the queen What them qualms be, just a kid Born in the city of wind, the city of sin Like Quentin Tarantino Some people call me Pinkerino Yo sigo Puerto Rico vivo Y con mi gente no te busque el This is her story, this is her story Struggle, pain, joy, strife This is her story Powerful. Those are some powerful lyrics. I was really grateful to Pinky Ring for sharing that song with us. She mentions it a little bit in the segment that's coming up, but was there anything about that that stood out to you, Adriana? I just think it shows the power of telling your own story, right? It'll be mentioned during the interview, uh, the healing power of her music and just the fact that we all have different ways of healing. Um, and I think that one of the things that I love the most is she talks about self-love and self-care and what this looks like for her. So really, really excited. Yeah. So without further ado, here is Pinky Ring in her own words. My name is Pinky Ring and I'm a Puerto Rican woman from Chicago. I'm an MC. All those things are uh, titles that I wear really proudly and, and titles that inform the kind of music that I make. I've been a musician for over 10 years, always one foot in, one foot out, because uh, I always I have big dreams and aspirations that I'm always doing too much at once. Um, but what I've realized this year is like music is the one thing that is the most important to me um, out of everything, out of being a college graduate, first in my family college graduate, um, out of being an educator as well and being a writer and a journalist and all these things like musician is the title that has always stayed. So this year is a year that I'm pursuing music more fully, uh, mostly because sharing my story is really, really important. We're here to talk about healing, and when we think about that word, it could be at a lot of different levels, yeah. right? So we were joking earlier about the boo-boos that we had when we were kids, like yeah. physical, actual bruises right. or scrapes that you heal from, that your body heals from and with. Um, but being from communities that we come from, um, there's also a lot of healing that's done at the community level, at yeah. the familial level, at our, in our family, within our family dynamics, yeah. right? It, um, interpersonal relationships, there's healing. And then there's also deep healing sometimes that happens at the individual level, at yeah. the spiritual level, at the emotional level. So for you, just what does healing mean first? Um, you know, when I, when I asked you to come on the show, what were the first things that you thought about when it came to like your own healing story? 
first what like healing means to me is um most importantly is acknowledgement like i think sometimes we don't even stop to take the time and say hmm that hurt right um whether it be something someone did whether it be um you remembering something that happened in the past um or even just every day like we're constantly moving and you know maybe you stub your toe and you just keep going instead of stopping and acknowledging like whoa okay that hurt, right? And I think acknowledgement is the most important part because then you can start the process of healing. Until you acknowledge what is going on or until you acknowledge what is problematic in your life, uh, be that another person, be that a thing that happened, be that um, you feeling stuck, until you acknowledge those emotions, um, you can't really move forward. First thought when you asked me to, to be on the podcast was, you know, I thought back to all of the healing that I've been doing for such a long period of time, even when I didn't know that that's what was happening. Um, and I was really excited to to join you and to have this conversation because it's something that I really pride myself on, but it's something that I'm also really self-conscious about at times. Like, um, you know, you said that you um, really resonated with what I post and how I'm so transparent and what I share. Um, but that's a constant battle in my life is like, should I share this? Am I saying too much? Am I being too soft? You know, like, am I supposed to just be a musician and just put out music and not show people this personal side of me? And so it's something that I'm constantly battling with, because I know that it's my job to, through my experiences, help others. But sometimes I'm like, I need to keep some of that for myself or I'm just going to waste away. Like I'm just going to keep being this transparent, emotional person and people are going to judge me for that or judge me on what I post or what I say and, and not understand that I'm really good. Like I'm really well, I'm, I'm really at a really good place in my life. Um, but I share because I want other folks to understand through what I've been through, they can start that process as well. So like my journey of healing is, long and continuous but 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 here I am and and I was really excited to hear from you because and really excited to take a part in this because you know it is important and the work that you're doing to kind of dispel this ridiculous stigma around mental health in not just Latinx communities but in black communities and um in communities of color like we need to do that you know it's really important that we do that so i'm i always say my life is an open book for that particular reason because if anyone could get closer to their healing then we've started our job. It's up to them to finish that job, right? But if anyone could at least consider starting that process, like, cool, then that's what that's what all of this experience was for. So for me, the very specific journey I'm on, I have felt very isolated because I'm like, man, there's not a lot of people like me out there. And I know that's a lie, yeah. right? So for me, for people who listen to the podcast, they know that like, I had to remove alcohol from my life. I had to remove um, drug use from my life because that wasn't even really the problem. There was a lot of other stuff that I just was numbing and not really addressing, even though I prided myself really in being this like honest, open person who is very committed to growth. But, you know, even though I was committed to that work, I wasn't really doing the work until probably about a year ago when I really started to get honest with myself. So for you, has was there a moment in along your journey where you're like, man, the frying pan really hit me in the head this time? It's funny because there were several moments of those. <laughs> and I think, you know, sometimes we don't even notice them or sometimes we don't 
we start the work subconsciously. Like maybe it's just a small shift and we have to honor those, right? Small moments that we're like, okay, I need to change this. Um, so I think the first one for me happened um, in 2004 in this really terrible car accident that I was in that left me in a coma. And, and I share that story very openly um, because when I woke up and I'm in Cook County Hospital and I see myself in a mirror and I've got broken teeth and a broken nose and like, you know, I pride myself on being real cute and stuff. And I'm like, ooh, I look like a mess. Like what, who is that person? Like I didn't recognize who the person was looking back at me. And I was like, wow, something needs to change because that could have been the end of my life. And what would my story have been? How did I help anyone really? I wasn't, I was a really shitty teen. Like I was, and, and, and I honor that teenager because she was just making do with what she had, right? But when I look back, I'm like, wow, I was not leading my best life. You know, I was angry and I was game banging and I was hanging out with game bangers and I was smoking and drinking and um, just having sex with folks that I shouldn't have. And, you know, I was just doing everything other than, than starting my healing process. And, and after that accident and after I saw that reflection of myself, I was like, wow, something needs to change. Something needs to be different. But it's funny that like there was a moment prior to that where I was arrested that you would have thought that that was my moment. And, and it, and it was kind of little by little, you know, and that particular arrest came back to bite me in the ass, uh, in my adult life when I was applying for a job to go to Japan, got accepted, was packing my bags ready to go. And then they didn't let me go because of my record. So like, again, those small shifts happen, um, and they might affect you later on in your life, but there there are constantly things that are showing us our discomfort. You know, I think sometimes we take uncomfortable moments and we dismiss them instead of stopping, right? And listening and saying, what is this thing trying to tell me? It wasn't until, uh, what, 20 maybe 27 years old, when I finally decided to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and at that moment, it was a partner that I was with at the time who um, made me feel crazy, you know? He made me feel like I was wrong for who I was, how I was, how I loved, what I wanted. Um, and it turns out he was the problematic one, you know, right? Like, it wasn't me, but, but I'm grateful to him because I wouldn't have sought therapy if it wasn't for him making me think that I was crazy and that I needed to fix myself and do something different with myself. Um, so I'm really grateful to that experience. Um, and my first uh, experience with therapy was another step towards healing, um, was seeking out that help. Um, and and my, my journey to to get to that point, to get to healing, um, was a, a lot of just pain and anger and, and frustration and unhappiness and depression. And when I finally got there, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to really address these things and, and figure it out. Right. Because if not, I'm not, I'm not going to become the person that I'm destined to be because I'm constantly grappling with who am I? What am I? Where am I going? What is the point of all this? Um, and I feel like I finally got a really good uh, answer to that question. And, and that's why I'm here, because who am I are all the things that I stated earlier, right? All those labels. Um, but what is my purpose is to, to share myself so that other people can open up and do the same. 
Right, and and talk about that because we we've, we've danced around it a little bit, but for you, transparency is really important. Really important. It's clear. It's clear in your music. It's clear in the way that you talk to people on social media. Right. It's like like I felt like you were talking to me in those posts, mm. even though you have a lot of hundreds and thousands of friends. Right. <laughs> yeah. So t- tell me why that's important to you. Why is transparency important to you? You know, I've ne- I've never thought about why. I just always say it is. And I think that that maybe it's because I, I wanted that person. I always say, if I had a mentor uh, it, within the hip-hop community when I was younger, I would be much further than I am now. If I had someone who showed me that it was okay to, to, to be open or to talk about how you feel or to heal yourself, right? To, to find yourself and to heal yourself and to be yourself truly, genuinely, and honestly. I had I had small glimpses of that, right? Like my sister was one who like w- she was the person who I went to when when I needed someone, right? Um my mom was not that person for me, at least not until my adult years, um because they were so religious and strict and rigid and I could I didn't feel like I could talk to her and she wouldn't show emotion. Like most of my family are they're not really emotional. My dad yesterday I was like I love you. He's like, okay. I'm like, no, that's not what you say. Ah, thanks. I'm like, um, and it's funny because they, they've even changed and shifted. Um, but you know, I never had that person, um, that I looked at and was like, oh, it's okay to feel this way, be this way, say these things, um, be open in this manner. And I think that that's why I do it because I want, uh, particularly young women to see that I want them to know that it's okay. Like we're labeled as highly emotional. Fuck you. Like, so what? Right. Like, and, and and we are some of the strongest creatures on this earth. Women are. And so I think that if we stop shaming folks for, for being transparent and being who they are, um, then more people would feel comfortable in doing so. And that's the problem. Like, that's the reason why I even question myself when I'm going to post something um, that might be deemed as emotional or might be deemed as too much or not music related is because of the opinions of others and folks need to just be more supportive when people are are sharing in that way and also when they're crying out for help i I have a lot of friends on social media who post and and will say like i'm so tired or i'm so frustrated like that's them trying to reach out to someone anyone um you you never know we just lost like a legend in the chicago hip-hop community mike one he committed suicide like it's not it's not not that people could have stopped that because if that's what he decided to do then then rest his soul right but people are crying out for help and no one is helping instead they're shaming them and saying no one wants to hear that or you know take that offline or um stop being so sad or whatever like i i needed that person and a lot of people need that person and that's why i value um, in any way, shape, or form, being that person, I hate. I hate being praised for it. Like all the time, people are like, "Oh, you're doing so much." No, bro. Like if more of us were doing this work, then it wouldn't be a thing that you're celebrating me for. And thanks for the recognition. But like more of us need to be doing this work and need to be out here helping folks heal because you might prevent a, a, a Mike one. You might prevent a young person um, taking their life or or attempting to take their life or just in general feeling alone. Listening to you, there's a, a few things that came up, um, and one of the reasons I was laughing about the way your dad responded because I was like, "That's so familiar <laughs> to, like, my experience," and, oh, I, and I, 
I think that, you know, even though we might be from different backgrounds or, or maybe even different neighborhoods, I, I didn't grow up in Chicago. I'm from the Southwest. I grew up in Arizona and Nevada. Um, I think there's something about the Latinx or immigrant experience even, right, um, that uh, our families carry a lot of trauma. Absolutely. Right? And I was thinking about what you were saying about young Marisol, right, young Pinky. Yeah. Ooh. And I love that you honored her yeah. versus, like, beating yourself up yeah. about who you were when you were a teen because I think it's really important that we talk about, like, why, why did you have so much anger? Right. There's a reason right. for that, right. right? And I think for such a long time, like, I was beating that girl up, you know? Like, I was, and I even caught myself today, you know? I was like, she was a shitty teenager. No, she wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, she was adjusting to her life and, and to all the traumatic things that had happened to her. And so that that's something that's fairly new is saying, um, giving that person love, even if I'm now about to be 32, right? I need to still give 15, 16, 17-year-old Marisol love because she presents herself in a lot of different areas of my life. And I'm like, oh, okay, I need to I need to let her go, um, but still tell her, like, it's okay and, and what you went through was okay um, because, because I didn't do that at that time. So now that I'm an adult, I have to. Like, we have to remember to go back and, like, honor the, the person that we were and even even those experiences that we had like I honor my family all the time even though you know looking back I'm like they could have handled stuff way differently they should have done this this and that but they didn't and we have to understand like you said that experience that they had the traumas that they didn't face and probably will never face we are at least um, a step closer because we we are working towards um, destigmatizing like all of this dumb shit that people are saying about mental health and going to therapy. Like we, we're the ones to start paving that way. And so we, we have to remember that not everyone has that privilege, you know, not everyone has that opportunity to find a great therapist or to go to therapy or to have a good social circle around them that's helping them. And so we have to remember to honor honor them, honor our past self, but also honor our family for the mistakes they've made. And we won't get to people who cause traumatic experiences because I'm still not there yet. <laughs> I'm like, I ain't honoring you ever, you piece of shit. <laughs> you stay there. <laughs> but who knows in five years? Right, right, right. We'll see. We'll see. To people who work with young people, right? To really be able to understand why they might be acting the way they're acting right. or the hurt they might be carrying. Yep. And, and also to honor anger. Mm -hmm. um, how anger is, as a feeling by itself, is a healthy expression yeah. of usually someone overstepping a boundary. Absolutely. Or it alerts you to danger. Right. So I, I think it's really important that we talk and honor um, a like all feelings are valid. Yeah, feelings. absolutely. And that's why as much as I try to get away, that's why I do that work um, and, and stay in these schools or I don't ever shy away from uh, being a, an educator um, and being a speaker um, because there are a lot of people that don't understand that and, and choose not to. Right. They choose to write people off and um, especially young people, um, like you said, who are displaying anger or depression or whatever. And I know that I'm needed in there, you know, um, because not everyone has that experience or not everyone can relate to these kids. And 
Um, that's why as much as I'm like, I just want to focus on music. It's like, well, no, like you're, you know, you're, you're more than, than music. Music is a part of you, but you're more than that. Like your mission on this earth is to impact people through your music. But um, if people can connect with you in other ways, then you need to do that as well. Because the most important thing is like this kind of collective global healing, right? Like how do we all heal together? Um, and it's it's by those things. It's by being present. It's by um, affirming their feelings and, and what they're going through. And because not everyone can do that, I know it's important for me to, in some way, shape or form, still be doing that kind of work. So going back to your journey, what does what does being healed look like for you? As much as we want to envision some end goal, like I am healed when blank happens. <laughs> um, you, uh, um, you know, until you're in the grave, you're still always healing, right? Because there's always, there are always going to be things that happen. Um, there are always going to be these kind of social conditionings that we fall back to and then be like, oh shit, that's not nice for me to say to myself, right? So we're constantly in a state of healing. The The markers for getting closer and closer, even though it's never really like, there's never a final moment until literally you're dead. <laughs> even then in the afterlife, you know, you're probably still healing too. Um, but I think that you know you're getting closer when you when you really start putting yourself first. What we tend to do, hurt folks, is put everyone before us. And when you realize that your time is just as valuable as someone else's, your experiences, um, your your love, giving your love to yourself, that that shows that you're closer, right? You're closer to healing when you can stop and acknowledge um, what you feel. You can more readily identify when you're hurt. And when you can communicate that with people a little bit easier, I think we tend to shut down, right? When people hurt us and uh, we'd rather avoid it or we just completely lash out, you know, fight or flight, one of the two. Um, when you can stop, right, and, and appreciate and acknowledge whatever emotions are coming up with you and saying, okay, uh, now I can recognize, right? When you, even like these harmful things that we do to ourselves when you can stop yourself in the middle of it or harmful thoughts that you have, you know, and stop in the middle of it and say, okay, acknowledge it, right? It's just gently saying, okay, I see you, I feel you, I hear you. And then moving forward and letting it go or putting it to the side for later. And I think healing is when you don't give a shit about what other people have to say about your process and what you do, because it's about you. Truly, it's about you and nobody else. So when you get to the point where you're like, I don't care, right? I don't care what you think, what you say, what you do. You're getting much closer to healing. Um, but again, like it's it's you're never done. Like you should constantly be getting better, um, getting more well, becoming um, more in love with yourself you know, at least in my experience, those are the moments that I've noticed, particularly being able to stop and acknowledge when I'm when I have self-destructive behavior or when I'm sabotaging myself or when I'm not honoring myself or my time or my emotions and when I'm not loving myself and when I'm giving of myself too much and not keeping uh, enough for myself or or giving myself an, the same amount of time, attention, and energy, which is why, like, one of the things that we had discussed, like, I am not having sex with anybody. Like, I am officially abstinent. It's been over a year. Um, I haven't been in a relationship in a while, and 
And that's important to me because I needed to stop, right? I needed to stop giving that love away when I was not giving that love to myself. A lot of us tend to just kind of ebb and flow with love, right? Like we just fall in, fall out, fall in, fall out. We don't give ourselves time to process and feel and honor ourselves, honor our feelings. And like, it's been a really incredibly wonderful, weird, lonely, happy year, right? Because because I took the time to say, my body is mine and it, it, it's not for anyone else. And I'm not going to continue to give it to folks who are not valuing me um, and my time and who I am as a person. Um, and also like, I need to love myself more. So how do I, how do I do that? How do I take the time to do that? Okay, let me remove this. And once I did, like, wow, things became really clear. And it's much easier for me to sift through partners now. I'm like, I know what you want. I know what you want. Oh, you okay. Okay, you cool. You can hang around for a little while. Because I don't have that clouding my my vision anymore. You know, again, that's another step to healing is like recognizing what you need um, and doing that and being kind to yourself in that process, which is like my therapist every two weeks, Marisol. Be kind to you. I'm like, I know, uh, but no, be kind to yourself. Like we are already so hard on ourselves. This world is so tough on us, uh, people of color particularly. So if we're not kind to ourselves, then who will be? And when will we really be able to appreciate um, when someone comes around and is giving us all those things that we desire? Um, And if that person doesn't come around, then how are you that person for yourself? So this year has been crazy with like figuring all that out, but you know, I'm closer, but I'm still, I have a hell of a lot of work to do, um, but I'm a lot closer and I, I can at least acknowledge that, which is extremely important saying, I did this work. Good job. Good job, Adriana. Good job, Marisol. Like us saying that to ourselves, we don't tend to do that and um, acknowledging where we are, that we still have places to go, but that we did this work and we here and, and, you know, we out here, we doing it, you know? So like, Give yourself a pat on the back. But all of those things, you know, I think have been a part of my particular healing this year and just since I started therapy and since the beginning of time when I was doing things that weren't as productive to cope with the traumatic things that happened to me as a child. Like you said, drinking, um, smoking, you know, all those things, like figuring out when to stop doing that is really important. And some people will never get there. Um, And I hope that us having this conversation encourages people to, to, to try that out, you know? We're going to take a little break. Uh, you're listening to the Sana Sana podcast, and we are here with Pinky Ring. We'll be right back. And out of the ashes I ride. Slide of these actors and actresses out in the fire and now. I dust myself off of these awful dudes off and be keeping me up at night. My demons, I feed them, I need them, I'm breathing them all alive. Cause they keep me on the darker side. My angels are anxious to sanction, they only want me to do right. After all that I've been through, I'm sinful, it's sinful. My mission to murk shit on the mic. Imagine the fuel that it takes to ignite. I've been through hell, take a look at my life. Now I'm staying so cold, like my father, I like. Took my history and turn it like my name was that. Now I'm grinding no death, cause I know that I need it. Cashing these checks in the whole head, I'm beating. Getting this cash like I'm whole, I can be it. Dividing my call it, you know that I heat it. I'm burning your garbage like incinerator. Lighting my incense in my incubator. Smudging with sage for these lanes and these haters. Check on my methods, got 36 chambers. But now if I want it, I know I can have it. Looking at greatness, I'm a college graduate. Nips is hating, but I would not have it. The musical maven, like Dorothy. Hacking. I wrote out this rhyme in about 15 minutes Take on my royalty, split it with women It's a new era and push we are winning So watch the throne cause I'm coming to get it Consider this the rebirth, the rework All your weak verses coming in like feet first 
and I'm off in a pink hearse I'm fresh to death cause I'm living la vida Loca me toca, te quiero la vida Political gangster like my name Evita Murder your ink, I'm a shot to beat her I am an animal, please do not feed her I am a loner, so please do not need her Yo soy la reina, la jefa, la diva So sienten el fuego de esta boricua I almost died in that car crash So I'm living life my last day, every day is my past I'm so present, I'm so nasty The words that I spit are legit, I'm a genius These are my sons and my daughters, my fetus They got my DNA like double helix Search through my words for the curve and the meaning Pussycats me and your crew look like penis My verse is the worst, is my cat out of cleanest La vida, I bella, your life is a remix This is the rise, rise of the phoenix This is Sana Sana Podcast, a feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health with Adriana and Adriana. So I want to go back to what we were talking about before the break. I feel like that was one of the first posts that I saw was um, on your Facebook that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one that's going through this one year right. <laughs> intentional celibacy. It's hard, y'all. <laughs> it's hard, y'all. It's real hard. So I also am in a, a little over a year as well of um, not just removing alcohol and drugs, but sex as well. Yeah. And being intentional about the stillness that you were talking mm-hmm. about. I think it doesn't have to look like that for everybody, right, right? right? But like in this current life that we're living in this current society, like we are just always go, go, go. And and I have heard of friends that talk about like that sometimes they're busy just to be busy and mm-hmm. not to really sit with themselves and like think on stuff. How did you get to a point where you you know you talked about having gone to therapy when you were 27 but are you working with the same therapist or like how did you get to the point where you knew you needed help with this piece So I'm not working with the same therapist um one of the problems with mental health and um therapy is just kind of this lack of access that we have and so my first therapist was a student therapist. Um, and shout out to her for like the work that we did, but also it wasn't the best therapy experience for me. Um, and, and I see how that can turn folks off from ever going back again or from even pursuing it to begin with is like this lack of access that there is to it. So I have broke as hell. So I have county care insurance. Um, and it took me a really long time to find um, my second therapist. So I've had a total of four therapists. That's a lot, you know, from 27 to 31. You know, you, especially someone like me who appreciates consistency, having that lack of consistency in in my therapist um, has been kind of tough. Having people be in and out in that kind of manner um, to no fault of their own, right? But just me being a person who it's really hard for me to, to open up, you know, as transparent as I am to find one person to open up to that's really hard to do to talk about things with a um, 
with someone like that. It's almost like an intimate partner, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I realized that that was my problem, was that I was confiding in intimate partners with my problems for so long. And because folks are fluid in that way, like you might not want to be with me later, I might not want to be with you. I was like, okay, I need to find someone else other than these men in my life. Like, why do I keep um, relying on and depending on these men to help me instead of finding that within myself. So how do I find that within myself? What's that process? What does that look like? I want that, right? I don't want to keep depending on men. Um, And I realized a lot of that was because, you know, my history, my trauma history is with uh, sexual abuse. And so that's the reason why um, I realized in retrospect that I was relying on and depending on men for that. But I needed to find that within myself and stop depending on them for it. That's why I went to therapy in the in the first place, because of my that first partner I was talking about who made me feel absolutely insane. And I'm like, why do I feel this way? Um, I, I don't I don't want to and I need to be better. Um, and, and partially I was like, I need to be better, not for him, but for the next man that mm-hmm. comes in mm-hmm. instead of it being like, I want to be better for myself. Um, so. So the first therapist that I found, I I got a student was because it was fairly not not inexpensive, but cheaper than other options. And I didn't have health insurance. And that's another problem is folks without health insurance. What are the resources for them? Um, So she was kind of in and out. And I realized again that with her, that process, um, I was focusing on other people every time I was in the office with her. It was it it was either that guy that was making me crazy. It was another one. that I met after who was making me feel, you know, a certain kind of way. And so it was always someone else. And in retrospect, I can, I can recognize that. Um, because she's a student, she didn't stop me like, Hey, no, we're focusing on you. My therapist now was like, uh, uh-uh, Nope. Stop mm-hmm. you. And I'm like, Oh, you right. You know? So like my therapist now I adore her. She's amazing. And the two before her were amazing. So when that, that process ended with that therapist, it was really hard. It was like a breakup almost. Um, even though I really didn't love her that much, but it was like, this is the first person that I was able to open up to and found myself, um, getting closer towards healing and at least understanding myself better. Um, so there was a long period between that, that I didn't have a therapist. And one of the reasons why I even went to her to begin with was because I was going to release a song about my experience with childhood sexual abuse. And I needed someone to process my thoughts with before I did that. And before I went and even told my family about it. So after that, I kind of was like, okay, my work here is done. I'm done. I released the song. Um, I, I put it out there for the world. I'm done. And then I was like, oh, wow, I, I still don't feel better. I still feel sad. I still feel depressed. I still, you know, am holding on to childhood things. Like, I don't know what's going on. So um, I had another partner who I was with for a longer period of time who really supported me in seeking out therapy for a second time. Um, it was a, a long and arduous process. And like, bro, I understand why people don't go and get therapy. I get it. For me, being a very well-researched person, I was able to finally find a therapist. But other folks don't have the time or energy to do that. I did. And I thankfully had a partner who was helping me at that time to find my next therapist. But like, what happens when you don't have that? And you don't even really want to do this anyway. So why am I going to go find a therapist? So that's something we really need to fix. World, America, United States. (laughs) Um, But the next therapist that I found was again through my, my insurance county care. They have a website I went on and um, was more open to the experience. And I uh, knew I wanted a woman of color. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I knew that specifically. And I, um, in speaking to a few folks, they're like, you know, you can ask for that specifically. And I was like, oh, really? I can? Cool. So then I found my next therapist who was a Latina woman, um, one of my favorite people on earth. I wish, you know, I know therapy is, it is what it is for, for the reason that it is. But her and I both really wanted to be friends for real. <laughs> like we both wanted to be friends. Um, she knows, she knew she couldn't. I know we couldn't because of, uh, you know, everything. Ethics. Ethics. You know. Yeah. You're <laughs> stupid. But, you know, she was like one of my favorite people on earth. She really understood me and she really, really helped me. Um, and at that time I had, you know, the, the beginning of my sessions with her, I had uh, a partner who was very supportive, but when that shifted and that partner um, ended up becoming someone who I didn't even know really, um, I also shifted to a new therapist because she was leaving as well. So then I got her boss who was a very different therapist. I love her as well. Like she was amazing, um, but she was a little harder on me and I needed that, you know, um, because at that point I didn't have this partner anymore. Um, and I was figuring out how to deal with that. And I was dealing with kind of um, that, that change and the kind of depression I was feeling, not, not because of him, but because of him, you know, like everything else in my life. Also, then I shifted to this other therapist who was really hard and, um, like she wouldn't take shit, you know? And I was like, Oh, okay. And at first I was like, I don't like her. But then when I kept on coming, she's literally the boss of this. This is her practice. I'm like, she knows what she's doing and she knows what I needed. Um, so then, um, I had issues with my insurance and my insurance, um, was no longer covering this particular place. So then I had to shift out again. And, uh, you know, all of this was very traumatic for me. I'm like, I'm loving these people and they're in and out again. It reminded me of um, my trauma as a child. It reminded me of the partners and relationships that I was that I had my whole life and was having at that moment. I was like, bro, like I can't take anymore. I need someone consistent. Um, And then my last or my most my current therapist, which I hope is my last therapist, I hosted an event after Trump was inaugurated. It was like a healing event. Um, that I hosted with my friend Lily B and Janeta in Humboldt Park. We had a Trump pinata. It was amazing. Um, and I met uh, someone there. I won't name her, but I met someone there who works within uh, this other um, network of therapists. And she's like, well, it would be unethical for me to be able to treat you. She's like, but here's what you do. Call these people. Talk to them. And it's the place that I actually went to for my um, regular medical checkups and my gynecology exams. Um, so... I was like, oh, perfect. They weren't taking new um, uh, patients, but I was already a patient within their system, so it was perfect. Um, she's actually also the the, the head therapist, uh, another Latina woman. Um, she's amazing. And we started doing a type of therapy called EMDR, which was really helpful. I, I saw the quickest uh, growth in within myself because of that particular kind of therapy. And it really helps with folks who have PTSD, which I have, and folks who have dealt with um, traumatic events. Um, and so, and I see her now, she essentially told me our work was almost done. Like our EMDR work was done. And I was like, wait, I'm not ready. She's like, Hey, let's talk about it. Look at all these things that you've done. And yeah, you're good here. Um, but she still sees me every two weeks, um, just because she's a great sounding board. She's a great person to have and talk to. And even still I deal with, with a lot, you know, I feel down, I feel depressed and she really just helps me kind of talk through that. And that's really important. Um, therapy has saved my life. My network of friends have saved my life. You know, like there are 
without those things, I wouldn't be as self-aware as I am. And I think that's the most important part is like being very compassionate with yourself, very uh, understanding and aware of why you are the way you are, um, what happened, what got you here and how do you get better? Um, But it, it, you know, it's been a wonderful experience. And I know that that's not the case for everyone. And I know that it was a really hard process for me. um, And it can probably be harder for folks who are not ready. Um, but I encourage people to just, just try it. And if one doesn't work, it gets like partners, you know, if one doesn't work, you try out another one. And so you find the one that's a perfect match because again, I'm a testament to the fact that it works. Sometimes when we think about mental health, we really only think about therapy, but what is a part of your toolkit? What else is in your toolkit in terms of your holistic healing and recovery? Um, I think it's really important to find what works for you personally, right? Everyone is different. Um, you know, you mentioned my Facebook posts and, and I'm just now realizing like, wow, that's something that's very therapeutic for me, mm-hmm. writing it out and then having my community share and thoughts or, or give me affirmations or me give them affirmations or them saying, wow, that really helped me. Like it's kind of this circular process. Um, that's something that really helps me is writing it out. You know, yeah, friends for sure. People that, that love you and like the right kind of friends though. You know, I found that as I get closer and closer to to realizing this kind of dream that I've had to to be a fully functioning musician and, and, and have that kind of platform, I realized that, you know, I had to really get rid of negative folks from my life, people who were not contributing what I needed. Um, and again, it's like, put yourself first, you know, like, I love these people. And I, again, honor them. And I, and I let you go in a way that's like, I would still do whatever for these people. But you need folks that are championing you, right? Other than people that are like bringing you down or are extremely negative or aren't doing, um, aren't even doing what they need to do for themselves. Like I, I've found that something that has really helped me is surrounding myself with people who are where I want to be, or at least on that similar kind of journey, like really self-reflective, revolutionary, um, forward-thinking, feminists, you know, like the, this kind of circle of people who um, really mirror who I am, like that has really, really helped. You know, there, there's the saying, check in on your strong friends, right? We, everyone considers me to be so strong, um, but the friends that I have that, that are there for me can see me at my softest and don't judge me for it. And they help me be that strong woman that I need to be for the world. And, and small things like taking bubble baths, you know, like that. That is literally my me time and it's so good and it's so important for me. And I, my friends make fun of me because like my, my um, Instagram story, my Snapchat story, like at least three, four times a week, they're like another bubble bath. Yes, I need it. <laughs> Don't judge me. So that's something else that's really helpful. And that's in my toolkit for sure. Um, meditation, um, extremely important. Um, and it's funny because I come from a religious family that thinks meditation is that you channeling the devil or something like it's so funny. I'm like, really? Like I'm, I'm Buddhist, right? So I chant. Um, and even, I haven't even been the best at that practice. Right. But like when I do it, I feel better immediately. So, um, you know, whatever religious thing you need, as long as it's not oppressive to other folks, right? Like whatever, um, religious practice or spiritual practice, I, I would say, um, helps also um and then you know something i'm learning more recently is like what you put in your body bro like that 
really affects how you feel, how you think, um, whether you feel cloudy or not. So like I'm working on eating better. Um, exercising is the next step. You know, I, I love being thick, but also, you know, the, the energy that you get from a run or a workout like that also helps. So these are all things within this toolkit. And the last but most important thing in my toolbox is my music, right? My expression, the ability to, to write these things down um, melodically and then share them. You know, I find that it's the, the biggest extension of myself. And I find that that's why, you know, even writing this Facebook post and sharing it is a small version of like writing a song and sharing it. That's the bigger picture, right? So this is what I could do more immediately is write this, share this, see if anyone feels the same way who resonates with this but on a bigger scale like I'm gonna write this song like the next album that I release is going to be very specific about um like this journey that I've had to like self-care self-love self-healing you know and um I might even title the song self whatever starting from you know self-sabotage right Mm -hmm. and going all the way down to like self-love right and what does that mean um so being very intentional about that in my music is another thing that that's the most important to me in my toolbox because that's how i i can help and then just sharing that experience be it through a facebook post be it through speaking with kids be it through coming here right this is healing right now is being able to talk about it openly and there's something about saying that putting that out in the universe and and letting that healing kind of come to you from being self-aware enough to just put that out there i guess the last question that i'll ask um has to do with how your family and your community have responded to your transparency and, and you being so great at documenting your journey either through, you know, social media or most, you know, mostly through your music, mm-hmm. really. So what kind of uh, reactions or responses have you had and what would you like your family and community to take away? So I think that, uh, so I'll start with my, my community. Um, and that being like community of friends, community of music fans or music friends. I don't like calling people fans, music friends, um, people that don't know me. Um, it's twofold, right? So the reaction is, is, is one or the other. So um, one is like this undying support, right? Like, oh, my God, we love you. We thank you. Um, you know, you're so inspiring. I, I, I thank you for saying that, right? But like, again, this is work. I don't feel particularly heroic for doing this, right? It's just me um, telling you about myself, right? Um, But most importantly, like when I released that song that I talked about earlier about my experience with childhood sexual abuse, um, the responses were overwhelming in the sense that like so many women were reaching out to me saying that happened to me too. And I've never told anyone and you're the first person I told. Um, so what I want them to take away from it is like, yo, please tell somebody, please get help. Um, it, even if it's just a friend, right? That starts again, we're talking about saying it out loud and putting it out in the universe. That's the first step and it makes it real. And then you could start processing that healing. Um, There were so many women that were just like so many women have gone through that and it was overwhelming to me to see that. And then realizing like, I can't really help you. Like I wrote this song and I partnered with a nonprofit to, to send folks there. But like, so many people wanted more help from me than I could give because I'm still healing too. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a therapist, you know, like I, I can listen, but I can't listen to everyone. I wish I could, but I can't. Um, so that was really overwhelming. Um, 
But but it was beautiful to me that you felt comfortable enough with me just by being transparent that you could share your story too. Like, wow, like that was really amazing. Um, and the other thing was that then they expected that from me all the time. They expected me to share, you know, the partner that I had prior. Um, that was something that I wanted to keep really private. I shared about that love because it was exciting for me. Um, but people wanted to know his name, his face. I wouldn't post pictures of his face. They want to know his name, his face, all of this stuff. And I'm like, bro, can I keep something for myself? Um, so that was another thing that was like really overwhelming and kind of frustrating for me, um, but also comes with the territory of sharing and being that transparent and personal with folks. They want that all the time. And what ended up happening was when I trans, when I transitioned to sharing that on my personal page and not on my music page, people were feeling kind of left out and sad. Like, Hey, you don't talk about yourself anymore. You don't talk about your process and, um, phone died. Um, and so that was really, you know, that was really hard for me to, to, to know what to share and what not to share. And then as far as family goes, that was hard. The harder part, I think, of this process was my family, especially because it's something that they don't understand. And, and I really don't expect them to at this point in their lives. They're adults. They've lived their life a particular way and they're not changing, you know. So it was really hard sharing with them, especially that's that experience that happened to me because I waited until I was 27 to share. It was really hard seeing that pain um, on my mother's face and my father. But it has made them understand it a little more. Like when I, my mother, were you going therapy? Oh, okay. It's not like why or whatever. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, cool. You know, I've always said that I'm the child that was meant to change what they think about things. Um, and so that was really important for me. Um, to have their support, you know, and they support me now. Um, my dad, his reaction to it was not what I expected and it was really hurtful. Um, but then after he came around and he apologized and I, again, that's a process for him too. Mm -hmm. So in all that, you know, I think what I want everyone to, to take from it is, you know, putting yourself first is really important in doing that work and getting that help and sharing or not sharing, you know, whatever works for you is the most important thing that I want to share. If, being open and vocal publicly about it helps if keeping it to yourself helps but finding a therapist or having a friend or what you know whatever it is man find what you need to get this this healing um because the the more that as a world we become healed and happy and better like this world is a better place and then we leave it better for for the next generation and they're the game changers right like we're doing this work now so that they can take this and really propel it so that we live in a world one day that mental health isn't seen as something that's only for folks who are wild <laughs> you know like so it's so it's so it's for everyone right like I said earlier everyone could benefit from it so why not yeah awesome it has been such a pleasure having you, Thank you. um any last thoughts anything else you want to make sure that I Get in there. No. Um, I think this has been a really incredible conversation, and, and I'm really glad. Um, I hope this goes everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, this needs to happen all over the world. Um, so I'm really glad that it's happening, and I'm really glad to be even a small part of it. This is Sana Sana Podcast, a feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health with Adriana and Adriana. So again, a big thank you to Pinky Ring for coming on the show. I love her. She's amazing. Uh, please support her. Please like her on Facebook. Buy her music. 
she is wonderful. You can find Pinky Ring's page and Twitter at Pinky Ring, and that's spelled P-I-N-Q-Y. So we are at the segment where we talk about resources and tools that you can add to your toolkit. Colita de Rana. So what resources do we have this week? So we are providing you all with a couple of um, nonprofit organizations here in the city of Chicago, um, and then with some reading materials in case you're interested of learning a little bit more about the history of sexual violence for specifically communities of color. The first is Mujeres Latinas en Acción. You can find them at mujereslatinasenaccion.org. And specifically, we wanted to make sure that we uh, bookmarked the sexual assault program because they provide a number of wonderful resources and services, including um, individual therapy and counseling, group counseling, medical and legal advocacy for survivors of sexual assault. And most importantly, they also serve significant others. So support, obviously, like we've mentioned, is really important for survivors. And um, the program really wants to educate and support significant others because sexual assault is a family issue. It's a community issue. And Mujeres really sees it that way. Mujeres Latinas en Acción is bicultural in nature and client-centered. Really awesome, uh, culturally competent for Latinas, but really serves anyone that comes through their doors. Yeah, another Chicago gem, Rape Victim Advocates, is also another resource that we um, provide you for anyone who lives in the Chicago area. Rape Victim Advocates is at rapevictimadvocates.org. They also provide a number of counseling services. Because their uh, entire focus is on sexual assault and prevention, they provide counseling, medical advocacy, legal advocacy. Any other specific services that you wanted to put a spotlight on? Um, yeah, they have a program called Men in the Movement, which I think is really, really great. Um, because again, rape culture doesn't only affect um, women, but it affects everyone and men also. And they really have conversations about toxic masculinity, about consent, about what it means to be a man uh, at this point in time. So um, really providing support and education to men. Uh, so I think that that's really amazing. And then... I really loved that you earmarked these books. I have not read them, and I'm really excited to add them to my list. I have them. You can borrow them. So the first one that I'm going to mention is At the Dark End of the Street by Danielle McGuire. This book really talks about black women, rape, and resistance from the history of Rosa Parks, who was originally an um, anti-rape activist, to the history of sexual violence in the black community from mm -hmm. slavery to now to Jim Crow. So really providing comprehensive information mm -hmm. as to where we are now and really providing comprehensive information that explains contemporary society in terms of sexual violence and women of color. Mm -hmm. The second book um, that I have right here is Conquest by Andrea Smith, who's a Native American activist and writer. And this also provides great context for sexual violence for women of color and for Native Americans. So it's like really historical. It's a it's a little bit more of a tough read, but if you're really interested in understanding and contextualizing where we are now mm. in this country, I mm -hmm. think that this book really, really does that. Mm. And finally, I have uh, 10 Reasons Why Colonialism Strengthened Rape Culture in Latinx Communities by Mala Muñoz from Locatora Radio. A really straightforward, really easy, quick read, just about basically 
basically how colonialism strengthened um, rape culture and kind of the connection of that and where we are now. So definitely check these out and they're linked in the comment section. Yeah. And the last one's an article, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Wow. I do need to take a deep breath right now because um, I feel like I'm all fired up and well, I guess that's good because we're Mm-hmm. social justice warrior so we need to yeah we wear that badge proudly so we're in our final segment the take care sana mañana which i think when we came up with the concept of this segment it really was to emphasize self-care after shows like this one that tackles really tough issues and sometimes stir a lot of things up for us and it's triggered like I feel triggered right now so so after an episode like this which I'm really glad that we did I think it's just extra important that we really practice self-care so what are you gonna do the rest of tonight to make sure that you are getting to a place where you can um, let all the toxins that we stirred up flush out I already went to the gym today and did a really intense weightlifting class and I just want to continue because Last week and the week before that, I've just been working myself to the ground. So I just want to be mindful that I can't do that and it's not sustainable and really try to enjoy my day and take care of myself. Mm. How about you, Tukaya? Um, I'm currently burning a candle and it smells really good. So I think I'm going to burn a few more and I'm going to take a really hot shower I have a really big day tomorrow, so for the rest of the evening, I am not gonna. Um, I'm go- not going to engage in uh, any of my digital devices. I'm not mm, going to get on social. I'm not gonna um, check my email. I'm actually just gonna unplug after my hot shower, do a little reading, a little journaling, and a little meditation before I turn in early tonight. So that's how I'm gonna take care of myself today. I think you'd be proud to hear that I bought a new journal Ah, and I'm going to start journaling. I love it. Yeah, inspired by you. So I guess that'll be part of my self-care. Self-care. Love it. Well, we have loved having you. Please um, send us your love letters to sanasanapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook. Hooray. Brand new page. And on Twitter. And uh, sana mañana. Sana mañana. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sana Sana Podcast, written and co-hosted by Adriana and Adriana. Our theme song is by Alina Celeste. Our cover art features a photograph by Tanto Jensen. Join the conversation. Follow Sana Sana on Twitter at, at Sana Sana Podcast. Or send us love letters to sanasanapodcast at gmail.com. Sana Sana is a Despierta production and is recorded at Full Circle Collective in the Bridgeport Art Center in Chicago, Illinois. To learn more about Full Circle, visit fullcirclecollective.space.